was good, wasn't it? I like that. Simple songs, man. Simple songs that say a lot. All right. <clears throat> Figured I'd take the opportunity to uh, finish up what we started in Sunday school this morning. So <clears throat> going along those lines on the, uh, on the topic of prayer, I'd like to, instead of rushing over some of the things that I try to pack into the end of Sunday school, I'd like to take them kind of to, uh, to an ending here. I think that it's going to be beneficial um, to go over some of these things, but uh, he sang that song, the last, the last hymn that we sang, I Come to the Garden Alone, and uh, a lot of times you hear songs sung like that, and it's talking about the garden of prayer. And uh, the time that you spend communing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last verse says, I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go to this world of woe, right? And, uh, and that's exactly what the Lord does. We have the song in the hymnal of the sweet hour of prayer. And in that, uh, in that hymn, uh, he, he goes through <clears throat> how sweet it is to spend uh, an hour in prayer. And then he talks about uh, making supplications. And then at the end of it, uh, he talks about uh, the day that you can bid the hour of prayer goodbye. But as far as, as, far as how we live our life here now, uh, it, is a, it is one that has to be lived by faith uh, that, is, that is constantly in communion with the one who knows more than you do. So again, uh, just reiterating some of the things that I said this morning, prayer is a fundamental um, necessity for the Christian. I remember when I was in uh, Pensacola, I, uh, I, had, was, I was tested on this once. Somebody had uh, asked me one time, or somebody had preached along the lines, and I had never heard a sermon on prayer before, and someone had uh, said something about prayer, and I, and I thought to myself, I was like, man, I, I can get under conviction about certain things, but I said, I'm not under conviction about my prayer life. My prayer life is awesome. And boy, I just didn't know anything. I was just so stupid that I thought that, you know, the fact that you prayed 10 minutes uh, going to work and 10 minutes uh, coming home, I thought that that means I was, really, I was really getting a hold of the Lord, you know. I was really laboring in prayer. Now, although I'm an advocate of praying to and from work, uh, I also know that, uh, that uh, actual prayer is a lot different than that. Uh, prayer sometimes can be laborious. Prayer sometimes can be monotonous. As I said this morning, prayer takes practice. Uh, prayer is something. Uh, prayer is something that uh, can be very frustrating at times. Um, if you get into uh, uh, looking at how you know fighters, uh, their mindset of a fighter, and before they go into a fight, they they, they can tell. You know, you ever see them do the the weigh-ins and the, the weigh-ins? They do their standoff. You know, and everybody's got their fists up and they're looking at each other and they're eyeballing each other. Well, it's not just a fancy uh, camera opt, although it, it is. But a lot of times, what a fighter is doing is they're assessing the mental toughness of the person that they're going up against. And a lot of times, uh, when it comes to fighting. Um, it, it really goes down to not who's stronger, not who has more skills or more abilities, but rather who has the more mental toughness. Because they say when you get into what they call championship rounds, whether it be in a boxing match or an MMA match or a wrestling match, when you get into those, uh, you know, those championship rounds, 
that right there, it's not so much physical as it is mental because your body is telling you stop. Your body is telling you shut down. Your body is telling you you cannot do it. Drop your hands. Your, your body is saying quit. Throw in the towel. You think about some of the greatest uh, championship fighters. I know I, I'm not a big fan of Floyd Mayweather, but uh, he's, he's, to some, he's one of the greatest pound-for-pound uh, uh, -pound boxers in the history. He's a perfect, I think he's like 39-0 and 0 or 32-0 and 0 or something like that, uh, undefeated. Now, he doesn't have knockout power. I mean, he's just a little, like, featherweight guy. I mean, the guy, I think, is like 5'3 or something like that. He's just a, like a little borderline midget. You know, I don't know if you can say midget, but uh, I believe in it. <laughs> so don't, uh, don't get offended and leave because I said midget. Uh, little person. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but he, what he does really, really well, better than anybody, is he's good about moving his head. And so what he, what he did, he was, they say he's one of the best defensive boxers in history. The problem with Floyd Mayweather is not that he's going to catch you with an over-the-top right hook or that he's got a devastating you know, jab. His, his thing is that he, he's going to take you in what they call the deep waters in fighting. They say, I'm going to take you into the deep waters. What is that? That means you can't, you can't stop the fight in two or three rounds. This is a 12-round bout, and we're going to and, – and listen, you're either going to quit or we're going to go 12 rounds, and you're going to wish you quit a lot earlier. So what happens is, is he'd fight guys that were bigger than him. He'd fight guys. He fought Canelo. And Canelo, right now, he fought a young Canelo. I think he fought Canelo. He was like 19 years old. So Canelo was on his uprise. Now, Canelo, it's arguable that he'd knock Floyd out in the first two rounds. I don't know. But he's he's insane uh, boxer. Great, great boxer. Uh, but he fought Canelo, and Canelo couldn't hit him. It's not that Floyd's going to catch you. It's that you can't hit him. And then what ends up winning the fights is he gets into those championship rounds and he's conserved all of his energy. He has, he has literally wore out his opponent because they're just they're, they're throwing punches. And he's, and he's literally just going like this and they're missing by like less than a half an inch. That's, how, that's, how, that's the margin of how far they're missing him, Right? And so, and he knows, he knows how to come back. He can tell by, he can tell by your stance, how far away you are from him. He's already calculated his reach. They say in the first three rounds of a fight, uh, a fighter like Floyd Mayweather, uh, what he's, they call, he says he's downloading the data. So what he's doing, he's calculating in the first three rounds, how you throw your combos. He's looking at your feet. He's managing your distance. He's watching, he's watching your tendencies. He's watching where you drop your hands. He's letting you do all those little mistakes, right? And then when you get in the championship rounds, he knows, he mentally knows that he knows more about it than you do. And because of his mental toughness, he's able to literally dismantle his opponents and it's not because he's the most powerful guy he's not a heavyweight you know where you know the bruisers that that knock people out in three four rounds he's not that guy what is he he's mentally tough um folks what makes mentally tough christians in a world where the bible tells you that you shouldn't fight as one that beateth the air Right? That he says that you should be calculated in how you fight your Christian battle. Right? You need to be calculated. But you have to understand, fighting this Christian battle is not just 
you fighting sin, and it's not just you doing whatever you're doing for the Lord Jesus Christ, although I believe that you should fight your flesh, and I believe that you should, uh, that you should be doing something for the Lord Jesus. I believe all of that stuff, but what's going to take you into championship rounds is not your ability. What's going to take you into the championship rounds is not going to be your Bible knowledge. It's not going to be your talent. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be your mental toughness. And mental toughness is forged in the crucible of prayer. It's hard to pray. It's not supposed to be easy. Prayer is diametrically opposed to your flesh. Your flesh doesn't want to do it. My flesh doesn't want to do it. You want to know what it wants to do? What it wants to do all the time, every day. And the last thing, because prayer is the epitome of spirituality, really. What's carnal about prayer? Think about it. Not a whole lot. You stop, you get on your knees, you get before the Lord, you humble yourself before God, and you start to offer up prayers and supplications and some of the things that we went over this morning, and we'll recap here in a second. But you offer up these prayers, you're offering up these supplications to somebody who knows more than you. Somebody has more power than you. Somebody uh, that has more ability than you. It's humbling. Prayer is, is humility. And so it is, it, is, it is diametrically opposed to your flesh. And that's why it's so hard to do. And so the devil knows that if he can get you, if he can get you to where you, you, you just pray when it's, uh, when it's um, when the opportune time is like, oh, I'm glad that you pray over your food. I believe that you should pray over your food. I believe, especially in America, you ought to pray over your food because there's some places they wish they could pray over their food, right? And so, so I believe you should pray over your food. But the truth be told, guys, there's there's some Christians they don't they don't pray more than that. Well, if it's not if it's not listen if it's not praying over their food. And if it's not, uh, you know, praying in church when somebody's asked to pray or on, uh, on Wednesday night, prayer, when was the last time you spent uh, time on your knees in prayer? And maybe you do, and I hope you do. But do you ever press the envelope? How far can you go? How long have you been? Well, it's carnal to, to, to track how long you pray. Okay, uh, you, you practice things in the flesh, don't you? Right? You practice in the flesh. There's things that you like to do. You, you try to get better at your job, don't you? So you have metrics to see how good you're doing, right? I love it how we always want to. We, we always think that it's good to set metrics for things that we're trying to accomplish in the flesh. But when it when it comes to trying to do things better for the Lord Jesus Christ, how come we can't set metrics for that? Right? It's like, oh well, I'm you know, it's it's just, it's it's with anything. Well, I want to get better at talking to folks about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, do you practice? Do you take time and practice? Do you set a metric for yourself? You're trying to memorize verses? Do you have in your mind a route that you like to go uh, when presenting the gospel? Do you know how to do that? You know, you can set metrics for yourself. That's just like preaching. I was talking to some of the guys uh, the other day. It was just about some preaching stuff. And you know what? It's like, I, I want to be a better preacher. 
I want to learn about preaching. I want to make, I want to make sure that I'm doing the best job that I can possibly do. I don't, I don't want to stand before God someday and say, well, I called you to preach and you just took it flippantly and you, and, and you just thought you had it all together all the time and you just, you know, were a legend in your own mind. I don't want that. I want to, like, like critique me, you know. There's folks that I go to and say, hey, how did I do? What did I say? Uh, you know, uh, can you tell me your opinion? You know, I want to get better. We set metrics. Well, why don't we do that in prayer? Why don't we do it in prayer? He says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33, 3. You say, how do you get mentally tough? You discipline your mind to pray. You discipline your mind to pray. You have to shut off the world. Listen, what you've, what you've, what you've witnessed in the last couple years is how mentally weak Christians are. I've seen it in myself. I mean, I'm not just talking, I'm just not preaching like everybody, you know, I'm just, I'm talking about myself. I realize, I realize how mentally weak I am, right? And that the sign of, uh, just the slightest sign of adversity, something that you can't control, it's like the world is crumbling to pieces. And so now, and now, so now everybody's got a side and everybody's got a, a slant and everybody's got a, a leaning and everybody's got their own thought process of how to do this and what's right and what's wrong. And it's like, why are we even meddling? I'm mentally weak. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're about to go into the championship rounds, right? And, and what's going to happen is who's mentally tougher? Right? Who's mentally tougher? Because I know this is that the Bible tells me to cast all my care upon him for he cares for me. So that means I get some, I get some, pretty, some pretty great strength by being able to take those things that overwhelm me and putting them on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things that we talked about uh, this morning just by way of recap. Um, we talked about uh, some fundamental things as far as where to pray. We talked about when to pray. And then uh, we started talking about uh, an, a basic outline of, of how to pray. The disciples asked, how do, how do we pray, Lord? Teach us to pray. And the Lord gave them a, a quick synopsis prayer, and we call that the Lord's Prayer. We read it in, in Luke chapter 11. It's in other uh, uh, portions of the Gospels. You can read it. <clears throat> and and uh, basically... We said that there should be a time of confession. There should be a time where you get yourself cleaned up. When you come before the throne uh, of grace, you should try to be as clean as you possibly can. Being specific in what you confess. Lord, I did this. Right? I know, that, and, this was, and this was my fault. And, and, and getting it in front of the Lord Jesus Christ and getting it underneath the blood and moving on. And then we talked about thankfulness. We, thought we, we talked about how uh, there should be a time in your prayer where you acknowledge the little things and the big things that God has done in your life and learn to focus on those things. Because in, you can't thank God for something that you're not aware of. Right? Listen, God, you don't, that's, that's what a testimony is. A testimony is, 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 a te a testimony is, is a, something that you're thankful for, something God's shown you, right? So it's like, hey, we give a testimony. Uh, are, we, are we scrounging? We don't, know, we don't know what to say. Well, are you aware? Are you, are, 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 is God doing anything in your life for you personally? 
Well, we need to be thankful. And when, and when you take time and, and thankfulness in your prayer life, you become more aware. You start to see God in more places in your life, right? Anybody say, well, I, I'm going through life and I just don't see God anywhere. Well, are you looking for him? Because if you're going to thank God in your prayer time, guess what? You better be looking for some things. And, and guess what? If you start looking for them, you'll find them because they're there. Absolutely, they're there. And then, uh, again, we uh, talked about praise. We talked about how you should spend time just bragging on God, letting him hear what you really think about him. There's nobody like you. There's no God above you. You know, there's no God that can create like you can create. There's no God that can fix the, the brokenhearted like you can, Father. You do all things well, and you, and you just praise him, lift him high. Because you when you lift the Lord Jesus Christ higher and higher and higher and higher, the things that you're struggling with and the things that you're maybe in turmoil about seem to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You see how this thing works? And then uh, I want to spend a little bit more time on this. And that, that supplication, a humble prayer request, a, um, an appeal, if you will, a petition. Um, this is a place where you're able to ask, right? The Bible tells you to ask. He says, you have not because you ask not. Go to Philippians chapter 4. You all know these verses. Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> I will have you know as far as, I know that there's a lot of folks out sick, and I don't, I don't want to think that, I just, as far as I know, nobody from our church has tested positive for COVID. I know my wife was tested, I was tested, and neither one of us had it. And so just so you know, it looks like folks are out with like a cold or something like that. I don't want anybody to get freaking out. Like, as far as I know, nobody in here has actually tested positive uh, for COVID. And if they did, I think they're recovered and they're back now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So, uh, but Philippians chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God wants to hear. He wants to hear from you. I told you this morning, I've dealt with folks that when it comes to prayer, they go, I don't know why I should pray. If God knows everything, and if God knows what I need before I ask, uh, why in the world should I pray? Well, it's the same reason why God asked uh, uh, the blind man what he wanted. <laughs> he wanted to know that the blind man knew what he needed. Right? And uh, so the Lord wants to hear. You know what he wants to hear? He wants to hear your requests. Let your requests be made known unto God. Your wants, your needs, your desires, you ought to pray for them. Don't leave anything on the table. You don't know what God will give you. I don't know about you, I'm pretty selfish when it comes to the blessings of God. I want whatever God wants for me. Amen. Amen. I really do. I want whatever God wants for me. And I don't, I don't want to, uh, 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 you know, you, you can try to be like, you know, uh, like real pious or something like that. Well, I'm happy with whatsoever things I have now and I'll ask for no more. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> Sit on your throne and say what you want. You know what I want? I want whatever God wants for me. Amen. And there ain't nothing wrong with asking. There ain't nothing wrong with asking. There's some parameters uh, <clears throat> that, you should, that you should think about when asking for things. 
okay? And I'll give you some of those things. Again, I have a lot of information, so I'm trying to be as organized, but I have like 80 million pages up here. Okay, uh, when you're talking about what to pray for and supplication, uh, you're like, well, I don't even know what to ask for. I mean, I'm clothed, I got a house, I got a job, I got a car, I got all this. Okay, uh, there's some other things you can ask for because supplications are not just uh, internal supplications as far as just things for you, but uh, supplications are also intercessory. I, I think I alluded to that this morning, but they're also intercessory supplications or intercessory requests that you can make. Paul did that. We talked about that in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 when he says that uh, since he had heard, he has uh, not ceased to make mention of, the, uh, of them in prayer, right? That they, they should know, they should know uh, the, the Lord's will and that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. That was his prayer. And he reiterates it similarly in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Paul believed in intercessory prayer, praying for other people and their needs. Samuel, I read this this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23. He said that he would be sinning against God if he ceased to pray for the folks in Israel. And of course, in John chapter 17, Jesus Christ made intercessory prayer. He made intercessory prayer. What to pray for? Well, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, which is the other place other than Luke chapter 11, uh, you know, the, the, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven, so on and so forth. Well, that, that right there, turn to Matthew chapter 6 real quick, if you will, because, again, this isn't a prayer that he was showing them to repeat as if it was some sort of chant, but rather this was a prayer as an example of how to pray. If you want the Lord's Prayer, you go to John chapter 17, and you see Jesus Christ praying for, not the world, but for the ones God's given Him. He says, those that are, that are thine are mine. Okay, and that's who He's praying for. He says, I, pr- I don't pray for the world, I pray for them which you've given me. Okay, but Matthew chapter 6 uh, in their answer, look in verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, a good Catholic will repeat that four, four or five different times, and they'll think that they got somewhere. The disciples are asking, hey, how do we pray? And he gives them this. And you know what this prayer contains if you break it down? He tells you how to pray. And what is it? Uh, you, pray for, um, you pray for guidance. You pray for guidance. Okay, look in with, with me, if you will. Um, it says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So he, he's, what is he doing? He's praising the Lord. Right? He's showing you that. And then he's, uh, uh, he says, um, thy kingdom come. That's the second coming. He's praying for the Lord to come back. You should pray for that. That's something you should pray for. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He wants the will of God. Right? There it is, right there. Thy will be done on, on earth, uh, uh, will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He's praying for daily bread, daily provision from God. You should pray for that. 
You should absolutely pray for that. Forgive us our debts. They're praying for forgiveness. They're praying for their relationships as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. They're praying for victory over temptation. Deliver us from evil. They're, they're praying for victory over temptation and victory over sin. And then again, acknowledging, we're, uh, acknowledging the power of Jesus Christ and, his, uh, and the fact that thine is the kingdom. What is that? He's just giving you an outline. He's just giving you some examples. What should your prayer? There it is right there. Um, I won't go through all of these. We won't turn to all these. But again, if you're taking notes, maybe you go get the audio if you're not taking notes here. But these are things that you maybe should have uh, to, to refer to. Uh, you should pray for the sick. James chapter 5. You should pray for the sick. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. You should pray for all men. You should pray for people in authority, their personal lives, and the salvation of sinners. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah chapter 38, verses 1 through 5. You should pray for longer life, good health. Amen. You should pray for that. Proverbs 21, 31. You ought to pray for safety. Safety is of the Lord. You should pray for safety. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, that's Solomon. When given the opportunity, uh, the Lord given him the opportunity to make a request. What does he request? He requests that God give him wisdom and understanding. That's something you should pray for. You should pray for wisdom and understanding. Matthew chapter 6, well, since we're already there, if you look in verse number 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they, re uh, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Are you not much better than they? If you keep going down through there, um, uh, verse 34, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know, something you can pray for? You can pray for uh, food, clothing, raiment, shelter. Why? Because the Lord provides those things. Amen? Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. <coughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 10. Make, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. You should pray for God, uh, for God to give you fruit in your journeys. As you go along in the world, you ought to pray for God to use you, that uh, he might get fruit from you. Paul was big on that. Uh, another place there, um, I don't have the verse off the top of my head, but one of the only things Paul ever uh, asked for prayer for, he never, asked, he never asked folks to pray for his safety, he never asked folks to pray for um, his health, he never asked folks to pray for any of that stuff. 
He asked the folks to pray for him to have boldness that he should speak as he ought to speak. That's, that was Paul's prayer request. For him to be fruitful in, in how he preached. That's how he wanted folks to pray for him. We already read it, but in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, you ought to pray for Christians to grow. You ought to pray for, for folks to, to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48, you ought to pray for your enemies and those that mistreat you. That's a hard one. You ever pray for somebody you don't like? Yeah, you're like, oh, I love everybody. Okay, well, good. I'm glad. <laughs> but you ever, you, ever, you ever pray for somebody you don't care for? You know what happens when you pray for somebody you don't care for? It's hard to not care for them when you pray for them. If you ever want to, like, you ever, uh, you ever have just, uh, uh, Brother Howie, I think, was, was talking about it when he was preaching, or somebody here recently, as far as the, the root of bitterness springing up and many being defiled and, and that kind of thing, as far as setting schisms in the body through bitterness. You ever been bitter towards somebody? You want to know how you get over it? You pray for them. You pray for them. I've asked God to bless them. God bless them. Pile them up with cash, Lord. Let them drive a new car, Lord. Give them a church or something. I don't know, right? Just pile it on them. <laughs> and you know what happens is the Lord starts to work on your spirit. The Lord starts to work on your attitude. The Lord starts to work on your bitterness through what? Through praying for them. Folks that just mistreat you. Listen, I've had some people treat me like garbage. I've had some people treat my wife like garbage. Not so much here. Well, I've been in a church, man, uh, and uh, had a lady, she was so mad at me, she didn't even take communion. She was so mad at me. She thought she was going to eat damnation to herself. It's like, man, I must have really done something bad. She was, re she was real mad at me, right? I had, I had uh, we, were in, we were in that church in Indiana, the pastor's parents, he was the treasurer of the church, and his mom was, uh, was there. Uh, my wife, we just got married, we'd been married maybe a year, and uh, and uh, they, they, were, they were mad at me for something. Um, I had a lot of people mad at me when I was first. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, the problem was me, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, they were, they were mad at me about something. And so what they did was they took it out on my wife to try to get to me. Can you imagine somebody being, like, horribly mean to my wife? My wife, she, like, doesn't even say anything. <laughs> but they, they, Paige would go up to them at the church and say, hey, how you doing? And they'd go, oh. And they turn around and walk away, and I'm thinking, you little stinking, I mean, ugh, you know. <laughs> but yeah, you know what you do? You pray for them. You pray for them. I've had preachers mistreat me bad. And not just like, not, not just like oh, you know, they're, they're kind of hazing you because you're, like, you're a young preacher, and that's what older preachers do. They kind of haze you. you know, they tell you that you're an idiot, and they make fun of your clothes, and they make fun of how you preach and all that different stuff. That's normal. That should happen. You should suffer persecution like that. Okay? But I'm talking, I've had preachers that were wrong mistreat me real bad. And you know what you got to do? You got to pray for them. And the Lord can take care of that. The Lord can take all that stuff, and he can just slip, it, slip that thing around. And you know what happens? You, you start praying for them. The Bible says you heap coals of fire on their head, and it's just like, yeah, that's how I'll get them. <laughs> I'll be real nice to them, you know. But you ought to pray for your enemies. You ought to pray for them. 
lot of times, hey, you know what the Bible does tell you? He says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. There's some, there's some, there's some wisdom in that. Right? There's some wisdom in that. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Hope I'm not boring you, but it'll get, it'll get good in a second maybe. I don't know. You can pray for it to get better. <laughs> Giving you an opportunity to practice what I'm preaching here tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Uh, so you know who you ought, to, you, know, you ought to pray for those that are over you in your church. You ought to pray for your pastor. You should. Amen. You should. Uh, it's it's uh, it's funny because uh, it's funny because it, the people that the people that have the most responsibility uh, are the easiest to criticize, but they're uh, very hard for you to relate to because you're not in that position, so you don't know. And uh, uh, I've had I've had a phone call before, and they and I had a guy call me up one time, and he said, uh, "We're having a church meeting tonight, and we're going to vote. I'm going to vote the pastor out." I said, really? That's what you're going to do? He says, yeah, he's an idiot. I was like, oh, okay. That's not good. I don't want an idiot for a pastor. That would be bad, right? And he was telling me all the stuff this guy was doing. And sure enough, I think he was probably a bona fide idiot. I think he was probably right. This guy was, he was way out. And uh, he says, well, pray for me. <laughs> We're going to vote the pastor out of the church tonight at this business meeting. I said, uh, I said, brother, I don't think the Lord's going to bless your endeavors. He says, what are you talking about? I said, uh, I said, it looks to me like you only have a few options. I said, you can either, one, shut your mouth, right? You can either shut your mouth, because you're not the pastor. You can either shut your mouth, or you can leave the church and go to another church that you don't think the pastor is an idiot, or you can go start your own church, and you can be the pastor. And then they can determine whether or not you're an idiot. Right? That seems fair. Uh, but I asked him, I said, how much time, how much time did you spend uh, praying for him instead of figuring out how to kick him out of the pulpit? And there was, a, there was a, uh, uh, an amazing silence at the other end of the phone. <laughs> right? And the thing is, is that uh, the higher you go, the easier it is to get shot at. And you don't know the kind of pressure that your pastor is under. Nobody does, because you've never had that position before. And so it's important that you pray for those, and it's important uh, that you pray uh, for their family. It's important that you pray for their spiritual strength, their vision, their direction, their health. Uh, pray for their finances. Uh, you see a preacher sometimes, and, and they, I, I know a lot of preachers. I've got a lot of friends that are pastors, and they struggle financially, and that puts a big stress and a big burden on the family. I know a lot of preachers that uh, um, they get health problems, and, and uh, family gets health problems, and, and, and then what happens is, is they, feel, they can feel that in the pulpit. They can feel it when folks are, are more, more keen to criticize than to pray for, and it makes it very hard for them to preach. It makes it very hard for them uh, to, to minister to folks that way, because they always feel like they're being uh, defensive. You see what I'm saying? And so uh, what you ought to do is you ought to, have a, you ought to have a humble spirit and a very thankful spirit 
and knowing that uh, you don't have to give an account for the folks that you're sitting next to tonight. Your pastor does. Even me. Like, I'm up here preaching tonight, right? I need to, when I, before I get in the pulpit, you know what I have to realize? You're not my sheep. I don't have to give an account for you when I go, to, when I go stand before the Lord. Pastor does. So, you know what I know? Is that it, God's going to give him stuff that he's not going to give me because it's not my job to give you certain things. You know what I have to do? I got to pray for him. That the Lord gives him wisdom. The Lord gives him direction. You see a church that's praying for their pastor, you'll see a church that has a good spirit in it. Amen? You see a church that's behind their pastor, and God blesses that because by doing that, by doing that, you acknowledge and you set yourself in the chain of command that God set up, and God loves authority, and God loves order, and when you set yourself in order and you put yourself under the right authority, God shows up. God shows up. Amen? So you ought to pray. If you're thinking about how to, uh, what should I pray for, there's a bunch of things you could pray for. Supplications. Supplications. A couple parameters there. As I, I think I just read over these. Uh, go to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Here's a good verse. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Everybody loves this verse. This is how we know how to send revival to our country, right? That was sarcastic. <laughs> All right, verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And there you go. There's the recipe for American revival. Well, no, not quite. Because for one, my people there is not you. My people there is the nation of Israel. Has nothing to do with you. <laughs> okay? And he says, my people which are called by my name, shall, if they shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You say, what is this? It gives us a parameter. It gives us that, you know what you should do? You should ask humbly. The Bible tells you that you should humble yourself. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna seek the Lord, you know what you need to do. You need to humble yourself. If you're gonna petition the Lord for something, you do it humbly. You ask righteously, right? It says, "Turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. Clean yourself up. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Right? Purify your hearts, ye double-minded." Okay, if you go over it in James, uh, James uh, chapter 1, he talks about uh, cleaning yourself up. He says, if, uh, he says, let not that man think that he shall uh, receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. <clears throat> I say, what are you trying to tell me? I'm talking this supplication. Listen, you can ask for whatever you want, but just be, no, just be mindful of a couple things. Are you asking for something that's wrong? Are you asking for something that is going to hurt you? Maybe you don't know what's going to hurt you. What the Bible says that, uh, God, the Lord, uh, that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For it says, for we know not what we should pray for like we ought. 
but the Spirit make an intercession for us. That means I could be praying for something, and the, Lord, and, and, and the Holy Spirit goes, and said, Lord, uh, he doesn't really want that. <laughs> he thinks he wants that, but he doesn't really want that. <laughs> that will mess him up real bad, right? You think you, wanna, you, th- you, think you want uh, so-and-so as your wife or as your husband, but you don't know that once they say I do, it's like she's going to be like a bear cat from Hades or something. Like you don't know. Amen. You ladies are like, oh, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. He's real handsome and he's got all everything, everything going on. And then you say I do, and he's a stinking bum. <laughs> he's a bum. Amen. That went over fantastic. I'm not talking about Ben and Faith. Relax. I like him. He's a good guy. <laughs> I don't think he's a bum. And I definitely don't think she's a bear cat, but maybe she is. I don't know. I don't know. We'll just pray about it. <laughs> That's funny. Sometimes you don't know what you, what you want. You think you know what you want, but you don't. And then you ask persistently. Uh, you know that you, you, you see those uh, stories in Luke chapter 11, uh, Matthew chapter 15, uh, talking about those that, uh, you know, persistently asking and asking and asking. And because of their persistence, uh, they get what it is they're asking for. Okay? In James chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, you should ask believing. Nothing wavering. I just quoted that verse to you here just a second ago. And then Romans chapter 8, finally, when we're talking about asking. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. So the Lord, uh, the, the Bible tells you that you should pray as much as you can in the Holy Ghost with the leading of the Holy Spirit. So with that, we can ask and we should ask. You should be quick to ask. Lord, hey, can I have this? Lord, can I do that? Lord, uh, do I go here? Lord, where do I go there? Do, uh, you know, all whatever. Ask for it, man. Ask on behalf of somebody else. You see somebody in need. You know, it's a good thing to, uh, to, to try to practice in doing is putting yourself, try to, as best as you possibly can. Do this as an exercise. Find somebody that's going through a hardship or someone's going through a hard time or someone's lost somebody or somebody uh, is, uh, is real sick or somebody's got some kind of heartache going on. Do the best you can to visualize yourself in that person's situation. Because the Bible says you should weep with them that weep. And it's, it, would be, it would be pretty good if you, you want to know how to pray for somebody like that. To the best of your ability, think about all the things that they're, that they're going through. All the finite details. You know, when I, I've, I've prayed for, I've prayed for, uh, uh, for Brother Yoakum. And I've, and, I've, and I've gotten down and I've thought to myself, what would it be like to be in a wheelchair? Right? 
and I'll just and I'll just be quiet. And I'll just start to envision in my mind the fact that I can't. Everything I do, I, I need to be assisted with. I can't get in and out. Stuff. I have to constantly drag myself in and out. What about going to the bathroom? What about having to bathe myself? What about getting up and getting dressed in the morning? What about, uh, you know, all the different things about as far as keeping the temperature regulated and making sure that his circulation, even in his legs, even though we can't feel them, that there could other things happen. What if he gets a bed sore? What if he puts too much? What if his, his weight's not distributed correctly? You know, uh, what if it's raining outside? And the story he, he tells in his sermon about getting stuck in the mud, nobody being there to help him. And uh, how to, uh, what about, what about uh, somebody inviting him over for dinner, but they got a flight of stairs going up into their house, and he feels awkward because it's hard. He, he doesn't want people to lift him up and put him into his house all those things and then you start to pray and you have a more of a rounded view of how to pray for that person and then you go oh god i pray you touch that brother i pray you'd help my brain the fact that he's doing what he's doing is a miracle father that's it's that's that's your hand on him is allowing him to do those things down there at the navajo you know try to engulf yourself in the situation of somebody else so that you can better intercede and make supplications on behalf of somebody else Amen. And last thing I want you to understand about prayer is prayer, you have to listen. You have to listen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This, I think, is one of the hardest things. Especially, I shouldn't say especially, I should say for everybody. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, wouldn't put one group more than the other. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is not judged, uh, is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have here an understanding of what we call spiritual discernment. And when it comes to the subject of prayer, a lot of times, especially when it comes to supplications, we're asking the Lord for direction. We're asking the Lord for something. Should I do this? Should I not do that? We're asking for direction. We're asking the Lord to help us uh, in in making those decisions. And, uh, And sometimes or I shouldn't say sometimes, but every time we have to make a decision to move, we need to be able to discern what it is God is saying. That's difficult. That's really difficult. Because I don't live in the time where, you know, an angel would just kind of crash down out of heaven and we'd, we'd burn a calf up and we'd get the thing figured out and we'd be good to go. Right? It's not the day and age where I just find myself walking and I see this bush burning and the Lord's like, hey, come take your shoes off. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to do. (laughs) Okay? It's not like that anymore. Granted, I don't desire to go back to when I had to find me a burning bush and take my shoes off, thank God. I'm glad that I, I am where I'm at. He didn't have a Bible like I got a Bible. But... To discern what it is God is saying, isn't that, isn't, that what you, isn't that what you want to do when you pray? You're like, Lord, I put this in front of you to pray, now what do I do? How long, how long until you make a decision? How, how, uh, when someone says, oh, I've been praying for this for a long time. Well, what's a long time? 
you like prayed for it three times and you're like, man, I'm laboring in prayer, man. <laughs> Is that laboring in prayer? How much prayer have you really put on that? Lord, I pray that you, uh, uh, Lord, I pray you give me a motorcycle. Lord, I pray you give me a motorcycle. Lord, I pray you give me a wife. Lord, I pray you give me a husband. Lord, I pray you give me a house. Lord, I pray you do this. Lord, I pray that you'd show me what job to have. Lord, I pray that, how, is that, is that, is that what you mean by praying for it? What is it, what is it, how do you discern what God wants you to do? Well, the Bible says that a natural man, he can't understand the things of God, but a saved man can. You and I, we can discern the Spirit of God. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Look in verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. To discern both good and evil. I see that discernment, discernment is a product of spiritual maturity. You see that? You say, well, I, I, work with, uh, I work with teenagers a lot. And if I had a dollar for every teenager that said, God told me, I probably could quit my job. Okay? I'm being honest. And when I hear that, I automatically go, ah, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always a little doubtful when someone says, hey, God told me to so on and so forth. Because usually, usually it's, uh, it's a guy saying, God told me uh, to talk to this girl. Or God told me to talk to this guy. Or God, or I've heard this one, God told me to, uh, you know, buy this uh, whatever it is. You know, it's usually, it's usually something that every teenager wants, right? And then say, God told me to do that. <laughs> God, yeah, God, he wants me to have that real bad. So I did that, <laughs> right? And you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if that's God. Because, 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 because spiritual discernment is a product of spiritual maturity. That means if you're not spiritually mature, the Bible tells you in the verse before that, he says, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So that tells me it's not just teenagers. It's, that means that spiritual maturity isn't determined by age. Spiritual maturity is determined by uh, your ability to discern the basic doctrines of the Bible. Your understanding of the Word of God. He's talking about the Word of God here. He's talking about everyone that useth milk is unskillful in what? The Word. So I've met Christians that... They're very unskillful in the word. But God is telling them to do all kinds of things. I mean, God, I mean, they have a direct line to heaven, and God tells them everything that they need to do. I'm thinking to myself, there's been like four times in my life that God has like really like said, This is what I want you to do. It was 
for me to go to Bible college, I, literally, I, I, I can literally take it to the place, I can take it to within inches of where God told me to go to Bible college. I can take it to the place uh, within inches where God told me to marry my wife. I can take you to the place I know exactly, I, without a shadow of a doubt, when God told me to leave the church in Indiana. I know for a fact. And I know for a fact when God told me that I was supposed to be in Dayton, Ohio. I know for a fact. I know right where I was. I know exactly where I was. And uh, other than that, I've made a lot of decisions in my life. And uh, we go into that sucker blind sometimes. <laughs> we do the best we can with what we got, right? But uh, he's saying here, he's showing us that spiritual discernment is, uh, is it, it gets a little bit easier to discern things when you become more skillful in the word. That is why we promote you getting in the Bible and learning the Bible. Why? Because it'll help you to not just develop a uh, prayer life, but it'll help you to capitalize and benefit from your prayer life. Because being able to discern the Spirit is taking your prayer life and actually applying it and making it a fluid thing in your life where it's dictating what you do. Okay? Discernment is what takes prayer and puts the rubber to the road. That's what you need. Okay? And in uh, uh, 1 John chapter 4, he, he tells you you should try the spirits to see whether or not they are of the Lord. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I got a few verses here. Shocker. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Here's one for you. And that ye study to tell everybody what you know. Oh, wait, no. Uh, that ye study to what? Is anybody there? It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. I'd like for you to read it. That ye study to what? Be quiet. Be quiet. And to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. He says, you know what, study to be quiet and listen. Don't be quick to, to say things. Study to be quiet because we're talking about listening to God. Because you want to know what happens? You're going you're gonna to try to make a decision. I've had people say, uh, um, hey, I, uh, you know, Lord told us to leave the church. Why? Lord, Lord told us to. Okay, at that point, what, how do you argue with that? I had a gentleman not too long ago uh, come up to me, and he told me, uh, I, was, we were, I was doing something, and he, and he, and he, and he told me, he says, what you're, what you're doing, uh, I can't participate in because it's wicked. I said, really? <laughs> really? And just so you know, uh, he was a young guy, and he had no idea what he was talking about. And it wasn't just me personally. There was other people there, so I'm not just like deluded and I'm like getting away with some crazy secret sin that nobody knows about. No, this person was completely messed up. And you know what he said? He said, yeah, God told me that that's wicked. I can't do that. I said, really? God told you that? I said, yeah. I said, that's fine. God never told me that. And um, you know what ended up happening as I started digging a little bit? Adam was there. So just so you know, Adam was there. So he was doing it too. So Adam's just as wicked as I am. 
<coughs> and uh, you know what was happening? He was, he, he was scared because he wasn't confident in what it is that he was doing. And so you know what he did? He blamed God so he didn't have to do it. And so he came to me and said, well, God told me. Why? Because so, what, what do I say at that point? You just basically, when you go to somebody and say, well, God told me, I prayed, God told me, you're basically telling me, shut up, I don't care what you have to say, because God already told me. What do you think I'm going to do? Start an argument with you because I think I know more than God? That's kind of stupid. I wouldn't do that. How am I going to argue with someone? Well, God told me to do this. Okay, well, then do it. The only place you're going to get yourself in trouble is if you're using God to dictate the, your life in the way you want it to go, and you're just blaming God for all your stupid decisions. And you're telling everybody that's over you in the Lord, and you're telling everybody that's got any kind of say in your life or influence in your life, you're saying, back off, because God told me, and I can discern. Can you? How do you know? I'm just challenging you a little bit. Everybody blames God for everything. You know what you'd be better off doing? Saying, I'm, you know what, I'm not 100% sure, but listen, I've been praying about this thing, and I don't, I don't, I don't know, have clear direction from the Lord. I'm trying, to do what's, I'm trying to do what I think is best, and I'm trying to make a decision. That would be a whole lot better than you just pulling the trump card out and saying, hey, God told me. Shut your mouth. Okay. I've, I, I've seen friends that graduated uh, Bible college, great preachers, awesome guys, love the Lord, believe the book, all these different things, and they jump from church to church to church to church to church, not even in church anymore. And you know what? Every time they moved, God told them to do it. Every time they pulled their wife and their kids up and brought them to another state, every time they tore everybody out of there and said, God told me to do this and God told me to do that, it's like, oh, well, you ain't discerning nothing. You know what you're doing? You're praying. You're praying. But you are, you are quick to do and slow to listen. And you think that you understand the will of God, and really you, you don't understand the will of God. That comes with time. That comes with maturity. And if you don't have any, you know what's not a problem? To go to somebody that maybe knows just a little bit more than you, say, hey, what do you think about this? And not already have your mind made up about what you're already going to do. Right? How about you go to somebody that maybe knows a little bit more, maybe has been in the game longer than you have, and say, hey, uh, can I throw something by you real quick? I'm, having a, I'm struggling with something. And maybe get an outside opinion. Well, no, I got to make sure that it's me and the Lord. Make okay. All right. <laughs> Tell me how it works out for you. Tell me how it works out for you. Because you, you will realize there's no quicker way to lose credibility than to start blaming God for every decision you make. Because the truth of the matter is, a lot of times we're just doing the best we can and sometimes the Lord lets you make a decision that's not uh, 100% right so that you'll learn from it. And that's okay too. Right? That's okay. 
but you look pretty dumb when you start, oh, I know exactly what God wants. Just, just don't, listen, you have to eat those words later on. Don't do it. Unless you really know. Don't blame God for that. There, you know, there's some hindrances to prayer. Unbelief is a hindrance to prayer. The Bible tells you if you're going to ask, you should do it believing. Again, James chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, Mark chapter 9, verse 17 through 24. It's an attitude that when you pray, you can, you, can, uh, not, uh, you can get your prayers hindered because you have an attitude of, I don't believe God can do that. I don't believe God can do that. I just preached a message this morning, and the whole message that he was telling the, uh, the, the Israelites there, those, those bones he's preaching to, he's saying, God can do this. It seems impossible, but God can do it. David asked a question, a rhetorical question in the Psalms. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I'm here to tell you he can. He can take bitter waters and turn them into sweet waters. He can do whatever he wants to do. But listen, you better pray. And when you, when you pray, you better realize, hey, you're talking to somebody that's got the power to create a universe. You got, you're talking to somebody that's got the ability to, to, uh, to put the electrical pulses in your body and make your heart beat without you even thinking about it and your lungs breathe air without you thinking about it and all those uh, sympathetic nervous system and all these different things that your body does. He, he's, he's the architect of that. He can do anything he wants to do. Amen. He can do anything. <clears throat> How about an unforgiving spirit? That'll hinder your prayers. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look in verse... Thirty-two. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Having an attitude of forgiveness, an unforgiving spirit, you hold it over somebody else's head. When God says, "I've forgiven you of so much," over there in Matthew, it's the story uh, where the uh, the man that was you know owed x amount of money comes up and he goes to the king and says, "King, I, you know I can't pay," and he forgives him. And then the guy owes him five cents. You know he comes out and says. You know, I'm going to put you in bonds and shackle you. And the king comes back and says, look at how much I forgave you for, and you can't forgive this guy for this petty amount of money. That's how we act sometimes. People do you wrong, something happens, it doesn't go your way, and you got this, this unforgiveness in your heart, and the Lord says, you think I'm going to hear? Or do you think your prayers are hitting the ceiling? There's sometimes you pray, and you're like, man, it's not getting through. Well, you know what you got to do? You got to assess yourself. Uh, am, I, am I in unbelief? Am I in unforgiveness? Am I? The Bible tells me if I acknowledge iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Psalms chapter 66, verse 18. Here's one for you. Go to 1 Peter. This will be a hard one. We're almost done. Let y'all out of here and go home. <coughs> First Peter chapter, excuse me, First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Verse 1. 
Everybody loves this one, right? Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if, uh, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold uh, your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be outward adorning of plating of hair, or the wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Uh, for after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, Sarah, even Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. So it's like, oh, right, praise the Lord, He's uh, the, the wives, there's where you are, right there. We like that. Keep them subjection. Do what you're told, right? <laughs> you know what I like about this is the Lord flips this thing right upside down here in about uh, two seconds. Because I've been in those, I've been in meetings where, I've been at a camp meeting before, and this is the passage that the, at the, the preacher at the time thought that the Lord wanted him to preach. Middle of a camp meeting, and... Uh, it's uh, how to spank your kids and uh, likewise wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Like, you brand donkey. What does that have to do with anything that's going on in this meeting? <laughs> Just craziness. Because they never read verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That's right. I can whoop her. She can't whoop me. Unless you're, unless you're Adam. I think Jesse could whoop Adam. I really do. <laughs> you just better mind your P's and Q's. <laughs> he says, And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Oh, snap. <laughs> you know what the Bible's telling you? He says, You can be bitter against your wife. And if you're bitter against your wife... Guess what? Your prayers ain't getting through. She's not doing what she's supposed to be doing, and she's not this, and she's not that, and she's not this, and she's, uh, she's not as good a keeper at home as she should be, and she doesn't do this. And it's so easy to say all the things that she's not doing. Right? And you just go home, and you grit your teeth, and you lay down in your bed, and you go, guess what? There's no sense in talking about it. It's just going to be an argument. And so you sit there and you stew and you stew and you stew and that bitterness sets in. And the Lord says, and you're like, well, Lord, time to pray. And he says, uh, excuse me, what was that? Uh, sorry, there's, a, there's some static in the line. I can't, I can't quite hear what you're, trying to, what you're trying to say. This is a rough one. This is great. <laughs> See, the first seven verses tell the wife how she's supposed to uh, conduct herself with her husband. But here's what you don't understand. I've learned this the hard way. Just because I got married, and my wife said I do, and I said I do, and we got married, right? She's my wife, but it takes more than saying I do to earn the respect of your wife. Look in verse 6 again with me, if you will. Look at with me in verse 6. For this cause, or excuse me, I'm in a different verse 6. Even Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters are as long as you do, uh, it says, 
whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. What would she be afraid of? What would she be afraid of? You think maybe, you think maybe she would be afraid because she's got a husband that runs around half cocked all the time? You think maybe she'd be afraid that I'm supposed to trust him with everything in my life and he has not displayed to me any sense of discipline or care or he seems like he's always making these crazy decisions all the time and you're just kind of like, you're just like all over the place and she's like, I'm supposed to like trust him. But then you're on the back end saying she's not doing this and 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 you can't get your prayers answered. Because you got bitterness in your heart towards your wife. But at the end of the day, the reason that she's not doing those things is because she's mad at you because you've not given her a reason to trust you. And it's a vicious circle and you live in misery. And it's like, what in the world? And then all of a sudden, the communication stops. And families start to break apart, and pressure gets put on people, and the wife's really mad, and the husband's really mad, and oh my goodness, I can't believe so-and-so stepped out on so-and-so. I never would have thought that would have happened. You see how that thing goes? It's right there. It's right there. We're called to be stable. We're called to know what the will of God is and, with, and with, uh, with, a, with understanding that now we have responsibility as a husband, as a provider, as a father, in whatever capacity, whatever God has added to that little home unit. Now it is my job to be stable and to provide and to listen and to help my wife just like she's supposed to help me. Wow. And in the world you live in today, it's even different because some of the wives work. And so what happens is, is my wife works and I come home and I go, why aren't the dishes done? Well, she's been working. Right? Well, you're supposed to do the dishes. Well, tell her to quit her job. Say, honey, you don't need this anymore because I need the dishes done. You know what I said? I'll do the dishes. <laughs> I'll do the dishes. But you live in a different world. You know what happens? You can get your prayers hindered. You want to say, why are you, why are you hitting on that? Because you want to know what I'm talking about tonight as far as, being, as, far as getting your prayers answered and, and developing a prayer life. I believe that individually, the, one of the most important things that you have in order to cultivate your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is your prayer life, right? And I also believe that in hand in hand, if you want a strong church, the, uh, uh, the, the rule of thumb is a strong church is a representation of strong families. And if we don't have strong families, you have a weak church. And that right there shows you, you see the snowball? How is the prayer life? You got to, listen, I, 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 my, too many of my friends are pastors. I've been on, I've been in too many, I've been in too many closed door meetings with folks' lives that are in absolute shambles. And it's like, what happened? That right there. 
What I just preached right there, what I just showed you in that passage, that happens all the time in Bible-believing households. Young guys, and it's, all, it's on us too. It's on us too. But it's not just the young guys. <laughs> Husbands, we have, to, we have to step up to the plate. I learned a long time ago, if I want my wife to do certain things, I realize that if I want, there's something in my wife that I want to see corrected, I know that there's usually something I have to correct in my life first. And, if, uh, and I believe my wife's a good wife. And if I correct it in myself, eventually I'll see my wife correct it because she'll follow me as long as I'm leading. Amen. Chew on that one a little bit. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then finally, you can ask a miss. You can ask a miss. We'll just turn there since the last verse we'll turn to. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Look in verse number 3. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. You know what can hinder your prayer? Just constantly needing more. Just constantly having to keep up with the Joneses. Constantly having to consume it upon your lust. You saw it on TV, and I want it, and I want it, and I want it, and I want it. As I said at the beginning of this thing, what you find out with prayer, it's a balance. Just like your Christian life, it's a balance. And you have to make sure that it stays within some of these parameters. Because if it gets way out of whack over here, it's like, man, that's no good. If it gets way out of whack over here, that's no good. you got to try to keep it right in this area right here. That's why it takes practice. That's why it takes work. That's why it's so laborious. That's why the disciples are going, Lord, teach us to pray. Because it's something you need to learn to do. It's something that's developed over time. And bless God, we need to work on it. I need to work on it. I'm preaching about something tonight that I have in no way, shape, or form attained to. It makes me feel very inadequate preaching along these lines and teaching along these lines. That's why there's so many verses in here. It's because I know that I can't sit up here and, and preach on my own merit. I have to make sure that what I'm saying is backed up by the Scripture. Because that's the only way I'm going to be able to tell you anything authoritative about the subject. Right? And so with these things in mind, we'll go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and We'll be dismissed. We'll give an altar call tonight or anything like that. We'll just pray. Hopefully, uh, you take some of these uh, notes, take these things home, think about them. Hopefully, it uh, energizes you to get started for your week and maybe spend some time in prayer and uh, uh, balance, uh, balance your life out a little bit and uh, draw a little closer to Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here in church. God, I pray, Lord, that you take some of these verses and some of these thoughts and some of these points and God, that you'd help us as a church, Lord. Help us uh, in our families. Help us in our personal prayer lives, Lord. Help us to develop that time. Help us to spend that time necessary. Help us to set aside time. Help us to not make excuses, Lord, of why we can't and, and how we're so busy. Lord, we have to find a way in the world in which we live to slow down, Father, because, Lord, we have too much stuff going on. We can't afford not to pray. We don't have the time not to pray. And so, God, I pray that you'd put it on the hearts of these that are here as we start this new year. I pray we'd start it off on a prayerful foot, Lord. Uh, God, I pray that you'd touch our pastor. I pray, God, that you'd help him to get to feeling better. Father, I pray for the 
the Roberts, Lord, is, uh, Lord, they seem to be in the hospital um, with COVID and stuff. I pray you touch their bodies. I know they're up there in age. They're fighting cancer and dementia. Got a lot of health problems, God, and I pray you touch them. There's others, Lord, that are out sick and folks that are in, in hospital and they got uh, issues going on. Father, I pray you touch these folks. I pray you'd bless our church, God. I pray for each and every person in here, God. I pray, Lord, that the, the things that were brought out tonight would be a help and a benefit to them, Father. I pray, God, that, Lord, you'd help us to get outside of ourselves and focus on the needs of others. Father, that we would be uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, as your Bible tells us. Father, that we'd study to be quiet, Lord, and work on it. And, Father, I pray you come back soon. But until then, Lord, help us to be prayerful. Uh, Lord, and ever uh, looking for your return. We love you now. Pray you bless this evening, bless this week as we start it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.